Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to another episode of Halal Cartels. In fact, our inaugural episode of 2024. Still writing 2023 on all the checks. Wow, Am he I froze. Right? Am yeah. I right? Yours started off with a bang. Uh, as always, it's me, uh, Gabe Pacheco, and uh, I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, the one and only. Uh, Nazim. Yeah. Happy New Year, y'all. Yeah, and uh, and on on the third mic today, uh, we've got the one and only Freddie G. So happy Hello, to Freddie. be here. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Great to have you. Yeah, thrilled to have you on the show. Um, you know, and for guests that don't know, uh, Freddie G, because because you don't uh, go to New York comedy shows all the time. If you went to any New York comedy shows, you would know Freddie because he's a ubiquitous character on the scene. Uh, one of my fave stand-ups to watch. And I recently a had a cold. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go, go for oh, no, it. I recently yeah. had a cold, and they had to cancel all the shows. <laughs> yeah. You were the super spreader? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were, you were patient. No, it's just zero. like they can't do them without me because I'm on every show. <laughs> so if I'm on every show, then if I'm out, then they can't even do them. Yeah. Yeah, like, I see well, that. New York Comedy is taking a hiatus today. Freddie G has a cold, so everyone go home. Sure, kind of a like nasty a, call too. Yeah. a mandatory Sabbath. So, my friends, uh, yeah, well, I, Samir, we, you and I, we haven't had this podcast uh, for like, I think, three three weeks now. That's so, right. So, yeah. you know, I don't know what you what you all have been doing in this time, but uh, I went to, I was in New Orleans. Yeah, that's where I went to celebrate oh. my birthday and to celebrate uh, Jesus's birth as well. You know, because that's the best is uh, leave town for Christmas. That's like my my thing is, especially if you have a family that wants to celebrate it, uh, just leave, leave town. And that way you won't have to deal with any uh, family nonsense, stress, um, traveling to get to family dinners. I'm yeah. basically Tim Allen. I'm Tim Allen from the movie where he where he doesn't celebrate Christmas and he just goes on a vacation with his wife. You just get away from all the things that you don't you know, all the stress that you don't really need or want. <laughs> but you still get to be like, hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Man. Wait, is that a different Tim Allen movie than the Santa Claus? I think there's one where you know, I'm not a huge uh, Tim. I don't know his entire oeuvre. I know it mostly from the trailers. And there's a movie where he decides. Man can cut a trailer. <laughs> the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Also, Tim Allen, uh, felon, for people that didn't know that, Tim Allen, uh, the, the wholesome family stand-up comedian and star of his own sitcom, uh, went to jail for moving that fish scale moving that weight in the 70s. This is 100% true. He was a cocaine cowboy. But he also told on the people that he was moving the fish scale for. So he was also always almost about to get killed. Sure. And you know, you know how we feel about snitches on halal cartels? Snitches get snitches. That's right. That's right. So Hopefully he gets like stitches from from Al and not from the guy, not from Tim the Tool Man, because those stitches would be ugly. But Al knew what he was doing. Big time. It was like mishaps that he got the stitches for. They're like the cartel was trying to kill him, but they're like, this guy's gonna 
kill himself. I like how Tim Allen made the Santa Claus and then apparently a movie that is the exact opposite of the Santa Claus, which is a man completely escapes Christmas in every possible way. That's that's right. I like that. And goes um, to New Orleans. And now you've made that movie as well. I am so thrilled that I went to New Orleans uh, for Christmas. Um, my one complaint about the city is uh, literally zero fiber in any of the food that they make down there. It is. Oh, my God. It is. There's that no, you can't get any fresh greens, Freddie. You can't get any fiber. You can't. Uh, you know, I asked I was in the French Quarter and uh, they're like, Do you, would you like that fried? Like, that's that's all they have. Big fat fried oysters, uh, fried shrimps, meats, nothing, no fruit. Forget a fruit. You know, um, honestly, the, the other thing I thought about with like New Orleans is they have po' boys there. Oh. But yeah. a po' boy is like literally $18. So it's like, how is this a po' boy? It's just a fucking expensive sandwich. Oh, po' boy means poor boy. They're always lying to you. Yeah, yeah, they're always lying. To you. <laughs> I mean, the po' boy's pretty big, though. It's like, it's definitely a foot-long thing. So you split it. You split it with a friend. With no, like, hung- hungry man is for poor boys. And hu- and men who are hungry can afford the po' boys in New Orleans. Because, yeah, Gabe is a man who was hungry. He had the po' boys. <laughs> That's right. Have exactly. you, uh, have either of you been? Yep. I bet. Yeah, I've been twice. I do want to say fiber is very important to me as a keto guy, as we say, <laughs> as a ketogenic American. Yeah, you, we need, we need greens. Otherwise all kinds of problems. happen. keto does not work without the greens. Don't let anyone tell you different. Sure. Wait, so Freddie, you still are on this ketogenic diet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been, it's called NSNG, No Sugar, No Grains. It is from a personal trainer named Vinny Tortorich, a celebrity personal trainer. He just basically gave the diet away for free. It's not like I'm giving him money or anything. And I heard him on the Adam Carolla show back when I listened to it. And now I'm in a crazy leftist who hates Adam Carolla. But I still <laughs> eat that same diet because I think the diet, the way the way of eating, uh, we like to, he likes to go to way of eating. You know, everything has their own words. Uh, the way of eating, I think, is based on a lot of truth, and you can feel yourself being less hungry. So I've stayed on it because I, I just, I can feel it, so I believe in it. Wow, yeah, that's hilarious that it was from an Adam Carolla show. I mean, I think you can pick up uh, nuggets of wisdom from from all all over the place. You know, yeah, and I haven't looked up the guy Vinny. I'm. I just assume he doesn't believe COVID's real or some other weird stuff, but I just haven't read his content in like six years. So I have no idea. I know what he said about eating is good. And he was not, I had to talk to him once and he's a nice guy. Uh, But yeah, I I avoided looking up anything he said about COVID or politics or whatever, because I don't want to dislike him because I like the stuff he's taught me. Like basically. (laughs) You're like, like, I have to give up on this goddamn diet because this guy's a J sixer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like he's really he love he's got a great diet plan for me. Uh he happens to also be a sovereign citizen and uh a hardcore libertarian who believes in the he's invisible. Probably hand a libertarian. I, I would just say I don't know what Vinny thinks about COVID. I would highly doubt he's ever put a COVID mask on. Sure. Well, if you're eating right, you don't need to. That's what he I would say, that. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You avoid the seed oils and, and the COVID won't come. 
<laughs> I'm sure I've had it three times, and I do not eat seed oils. I th- I honestly think I I had uh, COVID. Um, I got tested and everything, but I was sick for three weeks straight during December oh. with a dry cough. And every day I woke up and it felt like it was the first day of getting the flu. And then I'd feel better. And then I'd get it again a little bit. So like I canceled all of my uh, holiday plans in New York. And then I flew to New Orleans. And like that immediately the climate made me feel like somewhat better. So it was like, uh, that was my, my convalescing vacation. I was like Doc Holiday in Tombstone, going to Arizona to like mitigate the tuberculosis. I think I if it was similar to this cold. I think there's just like this weird stuff going around. Like there's a lot going around. Some of it's COVID, some of it's not, and it just it's really crappy. My wife might end up being sick for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Dude, no lie, that is something. So I've been hearing about this mystery virus that's been going around that people test and they don't, they technically don't have COVID, but they feel symptoms of it, like being exhausted, it not going away and lingering for a long time, etc. So I have a feeling that maybe it's just a weird variant that's not getting picked up. But how incredible would that be if there was a new, just entire new plague? And they were like, all right, uh, we're just going to spring this on them. Shit is insane in the first place. Might as well just add a plague to the mix. For me, it felt diff- It felt a little different than COVID because, like, COVID makes my brain not work well, and my brain still works pretty well. Uh, well, well I have no idea. You- it could be a variant. I'm not a virologist. Um, I also feel that Gabe really wanted to see his family for Christmas, and then this virus just completely ruined it, and he had to take a wonderful trip to New Orleans. <laughs> He's like, look, I can't bring you this virus, but I can bring the people of New Orleans this virus. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're inoculated uh, by a uh, liquor drenched gumbo diet, so they'll be they'll be fine. While I was there, though, I have to say that um, I saw a couple incredible places. You know, one, the history of New Orleans. I think it's important for people to go there mm-hmm. just because, uh, you know, in the Northeast, I think we, we always. American history, U.S. history starts with Boston, you know, or uh, New York. But uh, New Orleans is like an equally old, amazing city. And it's like kind of counter-programming to the uh, like Protestant uh, landing on Plymouth Rock origin story. And then you also have like, I think of like the four cool cities to see if you want to see old, the old U.S. is New Orleans, New York. Uh, Boston and uh, Santa Fe, Ooh, Santa right? Fe. Which is another curveball. But Santa Fe is like three. I I drove through Santa Fe on its three hundred year anniversary, uh, like ten years ago, and that makes it older than the U.S. That's you know, the one of the four that. I haven't seen. New sure. Orleans. I actually was reading a lot about New Orleans. Uh, I've read some books. Yeah, it's. I just. It was the. It was the big slave market, and like, yeah, there's a lot of history they don't want us to think about that relates to New Orleans. And then all it is still, it is an incredible place with a million great things like jazz, etc. Yeah, yeah. And the food there is incredible, but also it's you know that thin veil between the, our world and the nether world. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, are you <laughs> making things spooky? Uh, Samir yeah. is the ghost hunter in on the podcast. Well, no, I mean I've maybe mentioned this before, but when I was there, we stayed at this house 
and it was an Airbnb uh, mansion. And uh, when we got there, it was like really eerie. It was these people from New Jersey who were retired who like bought this house. And then I was haunted that night, even though I didn't believe in ghosts or any of that stuff. Something very bizarre happened to me. And then the oh, next man. day they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like this house is haunted and we don't advertise it as haunted because then we get annoying ghost hunter people coming here. <laughs> and I was like, hey, thanks. My life is ruined because that was so spooky. And then now it's on like all these top lists of most haunted Airbnbs. It's called the Parks Bowman Mansion, if anyone's listening out there. And so you actually saw what what was it that you saw an apparition? You felt I was sleeping chill? and I felt like some somebody was like squeezing my arm, but it was like damn vice like grip, you know? It was like unnatural vice like grip and I was like, What the fuck? Who is squeezing my arm? And then I felt like I was being choked at the same time. I was like, What the fuck? And then I woke up screaming and my wife was like, it sounded like you were gargling. And I was like, that's horrifying. Cause I felt like I was being choked. And then I was just really like freaked out. And then the people in the house told me before I told them what happened to me, I was like, I had a very weird thing happen to me last night. And they were like, Oh, the guy who slept in that room, like a few days ago left here. Um, horrified and said that he felt like he was being strangled in his sleep. And I was like, wow the same shit happened to me you know so i guess they just have a freak of a ghost in that house that loves to strangle people yeah terrifying that is yeah that yeah yeah or they have a really sneaky person who hosts and like does it just enough to keep it up to get on the rankings (laughs) yeah they like give you barbiturates and then you're like i don't know why i felt so foggy I felt like I was being strangled. Like they have an algorithm. Airbnb has an algorithm. If it's haunted, you can charge like 15% more. So like you got to do the haunted. (laughs) Yeah. Inflation's getting us unless you're haunted. Exactly. Well, have you heard about, uh, I did uh, real estate for a little while and you know about the concept of a stigmatized property, a property that has a stigma is uh, like if someone's murdered in the house, uh, you have to tell the people like i think if it's recent you know if uh there was like a triple homicide or like a a double tap assassination um or like an axe murder where like a whole family goes out you have to tell the people before you rent them that studio apartment that that's what happened i like how stigmatized property is like the pc word for murder house sure (laughs) (laughs) the slaughter chamber and but the thing is, is also because some people do believe in ghosts, uh, that that is something as well, where it, you you have to tell them if the house is haunted. Like, even though that, you know, in a secular world, that seems preposterous, that that it that would be something that would uh, actually be stigmatized. 15 percent off your house has phantasms. That's amazing. You're like, look, it's not that bad. So you can have 15% off. Like, who's the judge of how bad it is? Yeah. You know? I'm going to try to get some ghosts to come to New York. We need to lower the prices. (laughs) I know. Honestly, (laughs) you know, in Ghostbusters, in the first one where the, uh, they're like, 
the chamber where they're keeping all the ghosts stored explodes and they all get free. I yeah. mean, that should have just dropped the rent all over the city for thousands yeah, yeah. and thousands of people to create affordable housing. You know, in fact, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the ghostbusters. Those guys were, uh, by capturing the ghosts, jacking up the rents. Yeah. They're like, there's no ghosts anymore. So the rent is going back up. The first like twenty minutes of the movie is kind of showing that they're kind of rapey dudes, or at least Bill Murray. Yeah, he's a flimflam artist who is using his yeah. position as an academic to hit on, in the sleaziest ways, hit on his hot students. Part yeah, and then he's course. like, "Okay, there's actually ghosts, and so now now I'll bust them." But yeah, before he was just trying to bust. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Well, he wasn't busting guts. Guts. Right. He was busting. Oh man! The wildest scene though true. is when Dan Aykroyd is in bed sleeping, and he had a similar experience to you, Samir. But instead of having a vice-like grip on his throat or his arm, he gets a blowjob from uh, the floating phantasm girl woman. Yeah. And if you watch that movie as an eight-year-old with your parents, that's a mad uncomfortable scene. Yeah, you're like, I'm eight. What is going on here? Also, why is this only PG? <laughs> 1980s movies were PG, and they were like, all right, you can have like a blowjob in a PG movie. Be real. The studio was like, kids are going to love this movie. We're going to make a cartoon show. I was younger than uh, Gabe, so I was watching the cartoon show. It has <laughs> to be PG. I don't care how many blowjobs it has. And then people just did coke and let it go. Exactly. Exactly. 1980s was a wild time, though. Uh, 1980s morality is back, though. I'll tell you that much. Sure. <laughs> we're, uh, you mean we're going uh, hard right in yes. all in all aspects of our lives. Um, so I gotta say, uh, I'm so happy. We one reason that I got Freddie on the show uh, that you're that we invited you on is because uh, you reached out to me earlier. Um, I think it was in October about going to protests and uh we and samir and i had been going to like all of these uh we went to the uh the ceasefire protest to free palestine in bay ridge and then uh we went to the one in um we bumped into each other at the one uh by the that place where the new where the nets play oh barclays that's right and then freddie you uh reached out and you wanted to go to a protest Oh and yeah, I feel like so, yeah. I have the yeah. I feel like I have oh, the honor okay. of taking you your first protest. It meant a lot, yeah. It meant yeah. Um, well, basically, because you hear that, like, if you go to a protest, it's going to be like the Black Lives Matter ones in 2020, which I should have gone to but didn't go to, and like you're going to end up arrested, and like if you're they're going to use your face to unlock your phone. And they may, if people, it's, it's very scary. And then I'm on medicine and like, I would, I would just need to prepare a certain way if that, if it was going to be like that. I'm not saying it's never like that, but yeah, you need to prepare a certain way. <laughs> I like this. Like I'm on medicine, so <laughs> you can't go. I got a doctor's note not to go to a protest. I've got a prescription. Yeah, I mean, it's dangerous if you get arrested and then you get separated from your medicine because they would I mean, definitely I'm bringing, do that. Yeah, I bring my medicine. I'm just always ready for another 9-11. So I have two days of medicine with me at all times. It's not <laughs> even that. I could probably, I'd be okay with that. But just in case, yeah, if you're on medicine, just bring a couple days with you. 
Oh, I guess you're putting it back. Yeah. Two You're days like, is a lot. I'm not sure about if you get arrested, but uh I mean because how even if a nine eleven I'd probably get more medicine in a couple days if I'm just in New York. I'd probably get home or something. Or to the hospital. Right. Yeah. I mean, because they just shut down the trans, you think. Just in some in some nightmare scenario, you'll be glad you had your medicine with you for a day Fair or enough. two. Travel I bring more than that. Oh but, yeah, uh, for sure. Of extra day. Like if I'm going away, I'll bring like four days, uh, or like Good. if I'm going overseas, maybe like a week, like extra added to the days that I'm going to be away. Hundred percent. Sure. It's well, like I, me I, with underwear. When I'm packing, I'm like maybe a couple extra pairs. You never know what happens. I'm going overseas. That's right. I'm going to eat an all. For me, it's just I'm going to eat an all gumbo diet in New Orleans. I need to pack twice as many. <laughs> It's weird if you're going away for a comedy gig and it's like, I only have one pair of pants. It's like, I could definitely fuck up these pair of pants in a million ways on the car right up there. Should I have another pair of pants? But then that's a lot of packing for like a day or two. Yeah, I agree. But it's always worth it. Cause like, if you have like, say a powdered donut or toothpaste stand on like your pants, everyone's going to think that you like busted on your pants. And so yeah, what are you gonna do? Be like, hey, I know there's a stain on my pants. I didn't bust. It's toothpaste or powdered donut. The usual suspects, you know. Sure, those I'm are not the a only monster. I'm a ghostbuster. <laughs> a ghostbuster is someone who had a vasectomy. <laughs> if oh, I man. bust, I'm a ghostbuster. I'm the color of a ghost. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you were. Uh, I totally get that. I had a a joke earlier that i was nervous about going to protest during blm because i get low blood sugar and like you don't want me on the front lines of your of your movement because like if they start chanting like what do we want i'll be like uh, a cliff bar like when did we want it uh, 30 minutes ago and so like i get nervous about being out there but i never thought that it would be violent you know and just wondering like like, uh, I know when we talked, you thought that it might be like that. But even during, like, the BLM protests, I I was just, I, it felt like vibes. Like, everywhere I went, I ran into people I knew. And I'd say, like, 95% of the people at every protest I've ever been to have been, like, friendly. Like, the media, it's the media that portrays, uh, only shows, like, that 1% of um of uh violence yeah i don't call i just don't come from protest going people i come from like an of centrists and also jews who probably support zionism or at least avoid the subject uh so i yeah. will say my blood sugar did get low at that protest and then we you wanted to go your blood sugar may got low too we went out for salad afterwards <laughs> my blood the blood sugar low thing did happen to me at that particular protest yeah which is wild to catch you off guard Considering you're on the no sugar, no grand diet. Oh, well, you still have blood sugar. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, uh, I hadn't had my salad yet. I usually have my, sa- I have my, I eat, I have my eggs with vegetables and then my salad and then I'm good. You get where you don't really need to eat that much. You're not that hungry. If you like to stay, stick to it for a bit. I love that. Wait, so back to it though. So you, you know, a little bit of background on you. Like you grew up going to a, um, was it a Jewish country day school? Yeah, so I, it's weird. Country. Oh. I mean, uh, it was in the I city, though. 
Yes. Or Jewish days Jewish where you, we don't say country because if it's on Casino Boulevard in, in Queens, you don't say country. Yeah. You're, the, you're not. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So my family's not that religious and we don't have anyone in Israel or anyone that it's a lot of assimilated Jews. My dad, you know, the the public school I was zoned for, my dad didn't think was that good. And he was like, well, he'll go here. He'll be proud to be Jewish. And uh, they sent me to a conservative day school. I don't think they knew what conservative Judaism was, but it's the Jews who they follow a lot of the rules in like a practical way. And they're very judgy about it. And also that's a group that tends to be pretty Zionist. Conservatives and modern Orthodox are probably the two most Zionist groups of Jews, like is uniform. Uh, so they, yeah, so the school was just very pro-Zionist. We would do the uh, Israeli national anthem every day. So I still know it. Wow. One wow. year I had then, perfect attendance. Oh, what, oh, sorry. One more uh, thing. One year I had perfect attendance, and then they said you have to go to the Salute to Israel parade as part of it, and I didn't go, so they didn't give me my perfect attendance award. Uh, and every other year I got sick and didn't get it, so it's, it's really a black mark on my life. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever have any, like, doubts about it or any thoughts about it when you were younger? Like, hey, what is this? Like, really? Uh, I really, I, I guess as a kid, not real. I doubted the religion a lot. See, the thing with Judaism is there's like a lot of parts to it. There's the religion, there's the culture, there's Zionism, um, and Israel and all that. And then also there's the ethnicity. So the ethnicity I'm definitely part of, uh, because I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. I look like, I look very Jew, Jewy, as you would say. Uh, I look like an Ashkenazi Jew, so that part I'm still part of, but I never really got into the the religion or the culture. But then Israel was like, okay, well, we have a country we can go to, and it's a very nice place to go. I went on birthright, and it's nice. Uh, and all you hear is that they're surrounded by Arabs, and they want to kill us kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Like, we were... Who, me? That's kind of <laughs> tight. <laughs> I, I remember. You're like, we I am walking... on someone's fucking list? No, nice. history is mostly people wanting to kill us. Uh, it is almost oh, the story. Every story until like uh, this founding of Israel is Christians wanting to kill us. Because now I've read a lot of the history, and in the Muslim countries, in general, things were right for the Jews. They'd have to pay a tax, like the Christians had to pay, but they could live peacefully. And the Christian countries were a lot less tolerant. Now I know if a country is fundamentalist of any kind, it can be dangerous for people. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about um, your time uh, when you went on Birthright, because I remember I, I brought up Birthright, and I was like, isn't that where American Jewish people just get to hold uh, uh, firearms and sing songs in a cave? And um, you brought up I that did get to hold a firearm in a cave. <laughs> yeah. I do hate this one stereotype. People will assume that Birthright is about getting laid, and maybe it's about that, but not all of us get laid, Okay. I don't know what you think about Jews, but we're not all going to get laid on a 10-day trip, okay? It just doesn't happen for a lot of us. So, yeah, they have Israeli soldiers on the bus. And actually, I realized this on another podcast when I was telling the story. They took us to the cemetery where the soldiers' friends were buried, and they started crying. And, like, uh, the soldiers were probably really sad. But clearly, going to the cemetery was a propaganda thing. And I just realized that, like, recently. And then we go in the caves, and the caves were great, and he let me hold his gun in the cave. Uh, and it's the only time I ever held a gun. It was like a real cool machine gun. I'm not saying it was an AK-47 or M-15, but one of those types I know from video games. 
And I remember I had my hand on the trigger, but I pointed it at the girl behind me. Uh, and I thought I was being like so funny, even though in hindsight, like that's kind of a mean thing to do. But again, my hand wasn't on the trigger. I wasn't threatening her. But uh, I remember just <laughs> like, it was like, oh, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. It was nothing really that cool. It happened to me when I was 21. That's incredible, though. You're like, you know, I could kill you right now. I won't, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just thought silly prank, <laughs> hands not on the trigger, because I assume a gun can't go off with your hands not on the trigger, uh, and I've only had one attempt, and um, it it didn't. Because the thing is, they actually probably have to be pretty safe. I bet the gun wasn't really loaded, because if the gun goes off and kills, like, three kids, that would have destroyed birthright, and birthright is super important. <laughs> So oh, when you're on birthright, I was like, maybe there's danger, you know, it's, there are bus bombings, whatever, you know, bus bombings have happened around then. It's around the time of the second uh, intifada. But I was like, they're not going to let us die on birthright because that would really screw things up for them. So they, they definitely be- know how to keep birthrighters safe. And no birthrighters, I don't believe, have been hurt by anything in the 20 years since. That was about 20 years ago. They'd be like, that gun was definitely the spirit of Hamas fired that gun. Oh, yeah, I almost joined Tomas that day. <laughs> You're like, Freddie G came to birthright, turned it into death right. Wow. So how long were you there when you visited Israel? It's a 10-day trip. Yeah. Birthright, birthright's 10 days, uh, which is nice. But our trip was poorly organized, so it was kind of miserable. But I had some good times <laughs> there. You're like, the cave was a highlight. Um, the rest of the time, not so much. It made me want to go to, like, the desert. The desert's really nice. Jerusalem was really boring. And I remember getting bored at the third time we went to the Western Wall and just writing, there is no God, and sticking it in the the little cracks on the wall. Uh, Does anyone ever, like, look peep in there and go, like, what did someone write? Or are they, like, secrets that she'll be, like, lodged in the wall forever? It is weird if they're secrets because it's a very surveillance culture. So they're probably, like, looking for messages from Hamas or whatever in there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I was like right above there, looking like uh, down essentially at um, Al Aqsa Mosque. But I was like wondering what it would be like. Like, what would I put in the crack there? What if I put like some weed and like a cigarette? And I was like, this is for my, this is for like my ancestors or something. I wonder if weeds. <laughs> I don't even know if weeds legal there. The one thing with it is, is there is a religious, the country's not that religious, but when you're at the mosque, they're like, it functions as an Orthodox temple. So men and women are separated at the, uh, at the Western wall, which would kind of yep. stink if you went there as a couple, you got to be separated. Because 90- so you're there to like, you, you roll up to the wall, right? And then you are like, put in like um, a note and stuff. Yeah, but you're and you're separated by gender though, even though ninety yeah. plus percent of Jews wouldn't be into that. I understand that I know that's how is that how all mosques are? Are they separated by a gender? Yeah. In Judaism yeah, it's, my, it's only I an mean, Orthodox. Except thing. for like the grand mosque where like the Kaaba is in Mecca. The, uh, men and women are like not separated there. Which is insane because that's the most holy place. That's so like why are they separated elsewhere? The I yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Okay. That yeah. And I'd also women aren't allowed to women aren't allowed to like cover their face there which is like hilarious to me because all these fundamentalists like want their wives to cover their face or something but if you're there you're not allowed to so they'll still make them do it and they'll be like i'll make up for it somehow by like donating to the poor or something oh man (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
it's like how you discover that fundamentalism is a lot of like made up traditions that are basically rooted in like old Bedouin and pre like Bedouin traditions of basically oh, hiding women and stuff and treating them like property. So since you have both been there, uh, what is the geography of this, right? So the mosque functions, Al-Aqsa Mosque functions as a, like a Muslim holy place in islam but then also where's the wailing wall is that like it's right there it's right below it's right the temple mount we seem call it we seem to call i always called it the dome of the rock mosque is that the same thing is that just our stupid name for it you call it yeah no it's the dome of the rock okay yeah yeah oh yeah it's right yeah and then when you're in jewish school they're like well we would look for solomon's temple because they've never found archaeological evidence of the greatest jewish temple ever but but then the the uh, the Muslims built a, a mosque on top of it, you know, in the 2000 years they lived there or whatever. And then there's like in Hebron, for example, there's like um, a mosque that is adjoined by a synagogue and you can look into the synagogue and look into the mosque through windows. And there's a graveyard, a small like grave area in between and it's like for like Abraham's wife or something. Yeah, they all were buried. Yeah, we called it Merat HaMakpelah. Yeah, all the, the 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 key couples in the Jewish Bible. But now yeah. I've been reading more books on stuff, and it's like none of that. None of those people are real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Moses. Like I get jealous of Muslims because like Mo, uh, Muhammad's a real person, but Moses isn't. King David probably isn't. There's like, yeah, there's very, there's no evidence of King David. There's like a a plaque that says House of David, but that doesn't mean there was a real person named David. You know, like ancient, like Rome is named after Romulus. That's not a real person. Muslims believe it. So Moses is the most mentioned prophet in the Quran. He's mentioned like the most out of any prophets. And like Muslims believe that he was a real guy though. And that he did, like, all of those things, like the parting of the Red Sea and was, like, floated down the Nile River and, um, you know, like, confronted the Pharaoh and stuff. Oh, yeah, Talked yeah. There's, even, there's, like, when I was, I was reading about Jesus and, like, there's, like, a book. One of the Gospels about Jesus is the one the Muslims had when, like, he was writing the Quran. So then they just, like, take everything in there as truth, even though, like, it's contradicted by other Gospels that they probably just didn't have. Right. Yeah, we had a Christianity has a bunch of Gnostic uh, gospels. So, like, there's the four oh, yeah. that are in the New oh, Testament, yeah. and then a bunch of letters, like Paul's letters and all that. But uh, there are other books of the Bible or other other uh, you know texts that would have been pro. Can I Christian texts. explain? Yeah, yeah. I think they're called the Synoptic Gospels. Gnostic is this other weirder thing. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, please. Gnostic, like they summarize Jesus's life. Yeah, Gnosticism's a whole other thing. We it's way too boring to explain. But yeah, it's for, it's religion <laughs> for very depressed people. It's the most depressed people would be Gnostic. If you're yeah, depressed, so then we, you need to find God. Look into it. Yeah. Uh, really? Th- there's yeah, yeah. Just, it's basically uh, like this world was created by the devil. The good world is created by uh, God, and that's coming back or something. So Got yeah, it. there there were just a bunch of failed books that didn't get a second printing, you know. That uh, <laughs> the al- the alternate Bibles stories, you yeah, know, there might the be entire like entire printing. 
All the yeah. printing of books for like a thousand years was just monks handwriting books. So like the Christian Bible that we have is the book that the monks and the, the Pope and the priests wanted us to have. Because without them copying it, if they just got lazy and stopped copying one book, we wouldn't have it. So a bunch of monks uh, were like John Lovitz and the critic. And they're like, hated it. And then they just stopped reprinting those scrolls. <laughs> that oh. would be incredible. Wait, this, is, like, the this. Thing. this is the dorkiest thing. My wife and I bought a board game where you get to pretend to be the monks. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We were very excited. It's a lot of fun. That's how dorky me and my wife are. Yeah, you get to be those monks. Yeah, And then the printing press came and just destroyed them. Yeah, that was like they all like Martin Luther. (laughs) Like Martin Luther wasn't better than anyone else, but he was just the guy who like criticized the church right after the printing press was born, and then his letter went viral, and then on the printing press, and that's how he became who he was. If he was born a hundred years earlier, his body would have been burned, and no trace (laughs) would have been left. (laughs) That's amazing. He's like, you know what? I have something to say, and I'm going to use this. Brand new machine thingy to say that shit. And then everyone got a copy of it and was like, yeah, this is fire. Because yeah. this guy, Jan Hoos, they just burned the hell out of him. They were like, fuck you. And that's it. You burned <laughs> right. him. It was over. They burned his papers. It was just done. He's burned. Yeah. It's like the, the they print- used his papers to start the fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the printing press was like uh, MySpace and um, Martin Luther was like Dane Cook. And he exactly, just. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was just the he was the comedian of the printing press, the first guy to adopt uh, the new social media. Big dumb. yeah, literally, the yeah, life yeah. of the Reformation. He was the Rob Delaney. The thing he hmm? wrote was the most boring message board post. Like it was just like here's the logical reason why the Pope is like breaking the rules, and like no one he didn't think anyone would want to read it, and then just people started printing it, and then they got excited. You think he enjoyed some sort of like celebrity, like because of that? They're like, "Oh shit, here comes Martin Luther. That's my man." And he, he would like come through it, and you would like sign autographs and everything. The number and the one Pope thing about Martin like, God, I hate that guy. The number one thing about Martin Luther is he sold out. Okay, what he does is there's a peasants revolt, and he's like, "Well, actually," and like because they peasants were treated like shit. And then he's like, well, I actually like the princes. They're always right. You guys should just, like, submit to them. And he just bootlicked, and that's why, like, he isn't cool. And Protestantism is, like, the worst stuff because they just they just always suck up to, like, the nationalism. It's like, it's like uh, well, I always found that whatever the merchant class, this is my impression, is that new religions latch on to the new money class. Yeah. So, yeah. like, whoever... You've got a king and he's got a god or like an aristocracy and they've got a god. And then a new uh, belief system comes out and the merchant class that's the new money latches onto that belief system and it spreads through that new class. And with Martin Luther, like he did half step because he wasn't really there for the people. Like he was defended by um, uh, forces with money that were against the Pope and the Holy Roman Empire. So, like, just another, like, another moneyed class. So our new religion, religious guy, is Donald Trump, and his biggest supporters are the merchant class, which is the car dealership owners. Car dealership exactly. owners love him, and car dealerships <laughs> don't need to exist. You could buy cars online, 
but they get laws passed uh, to, yeah. to make that impossible. I've heard about that. So yeah, that's our new boys. example. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'd say so. Like when you look at uh, January 6th, a lot of the people that were at the insurrection uh, were our uh, professionals. They're like, yeah, you couldn't get a car that day. The, all the car dealership guys <laughs> yeah. were there. The whole dealership just emptied out and took a bus. Uh, very, <laughs> yeah. They really shouldn't have carpooled saving the environment, but took a bus to, to the Capitol. Yeah, it's the, it's the revolt of the small business owners. So, Freddie, uh, you read uh, – something else you told me once is like you read books at 1.5 I read books at 1.5 speed. So I started like, doing audiobooks. Dr. I Manhattan stopped all my here. sports podcasts. So I've read so many audiobooks, I'm I'm become insanely annoying. And reading the hundred year <laughs> war on Palestine is what got me in 2021 to start posting about it. So I happened to read it, and that right around when there was the that war in May 2021, um, and I had posted about it then. But then, obviously, posting about it after October 7th uh, has been a whole other deal. Uh, and I've been called yeah. But uh, yeah, so I read audiobooks and I increase the speed and I can get up to like three, 3.5 speed. So if you read for six hours a day at 3.5 speed, that's like 20 hours a day. So you're reading a long book every day or two short books. Yeah. And what, how did this, like, um, growing up in this background, right? A school that was pretty much um, pro Israel, pro the Zionist cause. Why, why aren't you a hardcore Zionist? What were like moments I, that changed your, uh, especially because you say you've got friends and family that are still like believing this. What changed for you? I think just reading books, first of all, becoming an atheist. So then I was skeptical of the religion and just, in, and then I'm always, once you become skeptical of religion, um, and I know the people who market themselves are, as atheists are usually like the most annoying people. But uh, once you get skeptical <laughs> of religion, you find religion in other places. So then it's like uh, reading Michelle Alexander's book, um, uh, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration, um, helped me because that made me see that the system could be rigged where they could just like basically make drugs a crime and then just arrest and the crime that everyone does and then arrest uh, wh whatever type of people they wanted uh, to enforce that crime that everyone's doing. Uh, that helped me. And then Trump and then uh, Trump happening. And then I became more like Democrat. I was like Pod Save America and all that, that stuff. And then I realized like when Biden came in, like they don't care about any of that, man. They're just going to keep trying to get Democrats elected and they're not going to stand by their principles and stand against corruption. Uh, here's a really good book. No one talks about maybe much more of a leftist it's called Crisis of Conscience by Tom Mueller. It's about whistleblowers. And it talks kind of about how whistleblowing is tough as people are moving between industries, uh, between government, private media, and getting paid to do it. And there's a whole kind of thing of everyone kind of working together just to kind of play ball. And, like, it shows how the system's script, and that actually made me skeptical of, like, Democrats and Obama and all that. Yeah. Oh, well, I like everything you're saying. This is, like, uh, but it makes me feel like this is being critical of uh, our country or like whatever domestic critical of domestic policies um, more than our international policies. Cause I agree with everything you're saying though. Like growing up in DC, 
I know everyone who was a federal government employee, the minute that they retired, they ended up working as a consultant for like Boeing or Raytheon or getting yeah, yeah, uh, that's why, like yeah. a part-time gig at the Pentagon. And so there's this like, well, or if, if your job is uh, working for the government to regulate um, like uh, climate, you know, like pollution. And then right after that, you go and become a consultant for Exxon. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Yeah. And that's how it goes, though. Yeah. What I'm realizing is that like the dollar is what people worship and that money is corrupted so much in politics and so much in our country. But internationally speaking, it's the same thing. Like the more you open your eyes to it, the more I feel like I'm drowning. You know, I can't understand my how wife, to get out of it. My wife also helped me deprogram from like chasing money because like she's a. She's a union stage manager and she pursues a career in the arts because she's passionate about it. She does make a living doing it, but she doesn't try to make the most money in her life. Uh, I also just think reading books by David Graeber really helped me. Uh, he's a, a leftist anarchist who died in, uh, in, in, the, in the 2020, 2021. Uh, I read The Democracy Project first. That really, like, it helped me understand, like, Occupy Wall Street, like, what that was about. And then his book called Debt is really good, too. And it talks about like relationships not based on money and how money's fairly new uh, and all kinds of things. But it's real, it's real good stuff. What David really, Graeber? Yeah, David Graeber. Like basically everyone in like a little village, they would all like always each other a little something. And they the women would just go to house to house passing things back and forth, and that would maintain the relationships. Um but basically, okay, like you could have like you could have a couple trinkets that are yours, but property in general should really be pretty equal. Like everyone should have one house before someone else has a second house. Uh, because I, other than that, otherwise like you're in New York where like I got like someone owns a second apartment in New York and then someone else is, is freezing in the cold and dying because they can't sleep in that second apartment. And like, there's no morality behind that. Yeah, or how about I think there's what uh, over a hundred thousand vacant apartments in New York City right now, and then you've got people in the streets, and you also have refugees uh, in the streets and being kicked out of the shelters in uh, freezing weather in January. Uh, so yeah, so so yeah, we're, we've commodified too many things. I mean, you know, now I've read read a lot. Of, yeah, the food, food, water, shelter. There's things that you need to survive. Uh, and then we can't commodify those. And that actually brings back to Gaza because uh, like people think like, oh, genocide. Oh, that's what the Nazis did, death camps. And it's like the many genocides happen throughout history. And the simplest way of doing it is just cutting off the food to a large population in a siege. Uh, and that's what's happening in Gaza. It's like some medieval stuff that doesn't happen as much anymore and is happening right now. Sure. It's like a slow moving genocide. So it doesn't have the same like firework sort of spectacle of like a of a death camp but it is the end result is the same that you're i mean i'd argue that it has both because like there's just horrible vicious you know really really awful things happening every day i'm like that'll be the worst thing i ever see and then the next day something even crazier but yeah i agree with both of you though i mean like the the element of it right now that's really scary is the starvation and the disease and 
um, the cold that's going to get everyone because people are completely ill-equipped without their things that are buried under rubble. There is a thing, I mean, like, because back in the 40s, I mean, they had bombing and airplanes and stuff, but if the Nazis had modern, you know, it was reasonably primitive. If the Nazis had modern bombing, maybe they would have just bombed the ghettos instead of uh, send people to the death camps. I mean, who, you know, who, who even knows? But yeah, because if you, yeah, bomb all together, it has, yeah, it has, it, it has that same effect. Yeah. I mean, you know, this ICJ ruling is coming up this week and, uh, what's that? I just, so there's a whole, um, South Africa filed the genocide convention against, um, uh, Israel. And so they're going to go to the, um, ICJ court. Pretty wild. Court of Justice. Pretty wild when South Africa yeah. is the Which one. Jess Solomon explains it. <laughs> yeah, Jess Solomon yeah. explained what it was in the last in the last episode too of this pod. I just listened to it. Right, right. Because there's the ICC, which is just like how you hold actual individuals accountable, and that's compromised by a guy Kareem Khan, who's. It's, we could do a whole podcast on him, but Damn. the ICJ. So I was like, this is hopeful. At least something is happening now. And then my dreams were pretty much dashed by Norman Finkelstein saying that um, it's just like a political uh, thing and that a bunch of these countries like Germany, um, Uganda, apparently, and um, other countries are going to vote no, no matter what the evidence oh. presented is. And that really broke my heart. So it's like almost like at this moment, I'm realizing there's a huge glut of individuals who can bring hope to people into the masses. And I think there's also like no like adult in the room. It feels like there's no leader who's sane, like Joe Biden, obviously an insane person. Mm. And um, it feels like the rest of the international community has people speaking out about this, but they're like, I don't know, like I can't do anything because Grandpa Joe is the one who can stop this. And so I'm trying to find hope. Like, and you know, it, I thought about it, Freddie, like those books, for example, that you read about like, you know, capitalism, et cetera. Like, I feel like those things all present like the reality of what is actually going on, but then there's no other shoe that drops where it's like, okay, so that being said, we're going to be okay. Like, here's what could be good. Everything's just like taking a seam ripper to like the world and then being like, all right, there you go, tatters. Like I read a lot of Chomsky books recently. Uh, hope he doesn't show up in the Epstein report, but it is possible. But either way, he wrote a lot of good, uh, good stuff. That's not about that stuff. Uh, but anyhow, I mean, just organize, you know, people organizing and organizing on the left is supposed to be, uh, the first step. Uh, and I have tried to do a little more. I joined DSA recently because uh, Eric Adams called them Nazis. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I hate when people, it's like, you're not Jewish. Uh, the, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like non-Jews who get money from uh, from APAC telling us what anti-Semitism is or who Nazis are. And it's like, you know, th- let, 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 let us Jews uh, decide. Um, but yeah, so I joined them at least, so at least learning about stuff is, yeah, I'm obviously very new to all this stuff. I went to my first protest only a couple months ago. I've only been to one since. So I'm, I'm still trying to learn, but at least knowing the truth has helped me. Uh, and I am hopefully working on, on stuff to help communicate it to people and also you're getting more involved in organizing. I think that's it, right? Is it community finding community organizing, taking a proactive stance is better than just sort of like being like, well, this is fucked. 
moving on yeah look find a little village you know and find your little old ladies and and trade baubles with them you know that's it and one book that gave me hope is yeah oh okay george orwell he uh, wrote a book um his two books are very depressing don't i mean you could read those but they're depressing he wrote a, a memoir called notes on catalonia he was in spain during the spanish civil war and he was there during the height of like when they were doing like anarchism and it was kind of working. And then he joined and like, he's just like, I saw this and like, it wasn't perfect, but like, it made me have hope that like this, that we can have structures that don't follow, um, you know, the American mold or the Soviet mode. And then the Soviets kind of come in and actually screw it up and help the right leaning people. But that book kind of gave me a little bit of hope. Goddamn. That was Orwell, huh? Yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. And then uh, uh, Howard Zinn has a book, You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train, about his time teaching during the civil rights thing. And, yeah, a lot of these books, like a book's about people organizing, like, there is a lot of hope. Like the S, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's a lot of great stuff, but the SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, they were just some people who organized and kind of set the whole thing up. Um, and I'm sure they felt completely hopeless in 1948 or whatever year they might have started. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, it's the best it's ever been. I mean, we can all drink at the same <laughs> water fountain right now. You know what I mean? And we all have smartphones, so there's hope, buddy. Fair enough. Yeah. You know? Wait, can I shout out one uh, more yeah. book? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a white. I'm Jew. I'm Jewish from New York. So New York, not connected to the South. My family wasn't here during slavery. I, you know, I didn't. I mean, I got that I had white privilege. I'm not saying I didn't think that. But I read this book, and it's you got to be dorky for this book, but it's called The Color of Law. And it's about how the New Deal and all these other laws segregated New York with real estate and with unions and basically created economic opportunities for my grandfathers uh, that, uh, that a black person or an Asian person's grandfathers didn't have. And that really put a lot in perspective for me. That book, or possibly if you could find a less boring version to read. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I need to learn more about the New Deal because people talk about like how it saved the country, but eh. this country, you know, is a fucking mess. So it's like there had to be some pork in there too, you know. Oh yeah, it stopped the bleeding, but then the thing that saved the economy was World War II, and then we basically haven't shifted out of a war economy since. Uh, also, the New Deal was just super racist because he needed the Southern Democrats to support it. Got it. Yeah, the New Deal was great if you were white. You know, that's basically it. And they added they, Jews. Yeah, they added the Jews to the white, uh, possibly. Yeah, maybe maybe because of what ha was happening in Germany. Uh, he did not do anything to impede the Holocaust, but Jews got added to white, and my grandfathers uh, got to assimilate and make enough money to buy houses and stuff. And the thing that Freddie's talking about with... Um, with uh, financial opportunities and business opportunities that like uh, goes back to redlining and sort of like oh, real estate carving up the neighborhoods and deciding which neighborhoods white people could live in. And then if uh, they were neighborhoods that were not white, then the property was worth less. Um, and that was like in the, just baked into the system. Right. So yeah, man, fun stuff. Everybody should read, or at least uh, read the cliff notes on the power broker if you don't have, if you can't listen to I'm going to read that something. one soon, yeah. <laughs> if you can't listen at 3.5 speed, 
Uh, that's like 48 hours of book to read. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read it in a day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to do just stay up all night and go uh, 20.0 speed and read it in two hours. so uh freddie this episode's gonna be called uh freddie g's reading list and um i want to know man i I love your tiktok but where would you like people to find you uh at orange freddie g on all the platforms um so yeah i would i read i'll get obsessed with stuff and then i'm just reading books about the history of jesus um and basically if you believe the historians he's a crazy person who thought the world was going to end um, and then I, so I started writing a show about that and then I realized I was interested in it because my dad's a crazy person. And then the show became about my dad. Uh, then my dad died and yeah, so, uh, to, to make the show better, a very Jesus of him. And, um, yeah, so I'm working on a one man show that's going to come out, at, uh, about that. That's going to come out in the spring, hopefully, uh, still, still finishing that. Uh, so I'm, yeah, so I'm working on stuff that kind of combines all these things, but yeah, you can also just see silly stand up and clips and jokes and everything or like uh stand updates at our intrigion on every social media possible amazing yeah i'm looking for, forward to that play oh thank you for that one man show yeah one man yeah, yeah yeah man well thank you for coming back on uh or for coming on to halal cartels for our first episode back in 2024 um you can find me gabe pacheco on Instagram at GabePack1. And uh, you can also always come on Wednesday nights to Funhouse Comedy at Pete's Candy Store, which is at 10 p.m. And it's always free. And I will be there with my illustrious co-host. Uh, me, Samir. You can find me at Samirmon, S-A-M-E-E-R-M-O-N, on all platforms. And uh, yeah, I'm with Gabe Wednesday nights at Pete's Candy Store. So come through. All right, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of Halal Cartels. And now leading us out, uh, here are the smooth sounds of the one and only Serene Patel, a.k.a. Brown Privilege. Oh, we can't.